Welcome to the Novice No Longer Podcast, episode 27. Coming up, what do you do when the demand for your product outgrows its original vision? I talked to Franco Variano of Guides.co about the different iterations of Guides.co and how the company became what it is today. This is a great episode full of actionable information about growing a company and quote-unquote growth hacking and really getting those initial users and getting the feedback that you need. But first, I have a really exciting announcement. I used to teach a workshop here in New York City called The Non-Programmer's Guide to Getting an App in the App Store, and it was for basically non-coders, teaching them what they needed to know and the steps they needed to take in order to make apps. And I put it on a hiatus while I focused on the website, but I'm very excited to announce that it is going to be coming back. And it's going to be coming back next month, which is August 2014. So I'm super excited about that. And also related to classes, I'm launching a brand new course very soon. Um, It's still in the final stages of development. I'm still getting some feedback from some initial users. But this is on a slightly different topic that if you listen to the podcast, you've heard me talk about. And that is becoming a journalist. As you know, I just ran my own personal blog while I was working in retail when I was able to break into the tech journalism uh, industry. And I've developed a system to help anybody else do that too. And I'm really excited about this. If you want to know more, go to novicenolonger.com. On the sidebar, you're going to see a little button that says become a freelance writer. If you want to become a freelance writer, click that and you'll get a lot more details on that course. And also on the topic of online courses, the idea to app online course based on my workshop is coming soon. And that is underway. And I'm finally focused and making it happen. I'm super excited. Early feedback has been really positive. So I'm very excited to share that with you. All right. So now on to today's guest, which, as I said, is Franco Variano. And I actually knew him from back in the day, years ago. And I knew him because of Hacker News. And if you don't know, Hacker News is kind of like Reddit, where people submit links and you can upvote them. But it's specifically for the entrepreneur, hacker, maker community. It's actually a website run by Y Combinator, which is the big startup incubator, I guess incubator, uh, out in California. And really, really great stuff. You get to see a lot of startups that bubble up there. And I knew him back when the website was called Startup Plays. And since then, it's grown. It's now called Guides.co. And Franco talks a little bit about that growth and why they decided to leave the name of Startup Plays behind and build up to guides.co. And since he was in charge of growth and community, we talk a lot about what it means to grow your community and the specific tactics that you can take when you have a product, be it an app or a website, to really grow your user base and not just users, but avid fans, people that are going to support you and going to allow you to grow in the direction that you really want to grow. This is a really great episode. I had a lot of fun talking to Franco, and I hope that you'll enjoy it too. So I'm just going to stop talking now. Visit me, Novice No Longer, if you want to check out any of the stuff that I'm talking about. And here's the podcast with Franco. Franco, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Dan. So you are Director of Content and Growth. You do a bunch of stuff over at guides.co, and... I thank you so much for being on the show, first of all. Thank you for having me. 
Yeah, so I, I always like to start off the show by asking people just basically how they got to where they are today, like what their journey thus far has been. So how did you get to be over at guides.co? Uh, yeah, so it's actually, uh, a, a, I guess, a, a pretty involved story. Um, while I was in school, uh, university, um, I ended up having a, a bunch of different roles kind of all in, in the media online um, space. Um, I ended up working for the Canadian federal government for a little bit at uh, a specific department called Library and Archives Canada. Uh, and essentially one of my roles there was to figure out how to make uh, the content interesting and accessible to all Canadians for business use, commercial use, um, or, or just private use, all, all, the, all the kind of past archives that were now being brought into the modern age. Um, so it was about how to, how to develop uh, pilot programs that would work and that would be engaging uh, and useful um, and also just build communities around that. And, and so um, I had a lot of fun doing that for a while, and, and that kind of opened my eyes to the world of, of startups uh, and building something for yourself uh, or for a small community of, of users. Um, and so I ended up joining um, a startup after, after venturing out on my own and having mixed success with a few different projects. I ended up joining Mercury Grove, which is the parent company of guides.co. Um, and at the time, Mercury Grove had its own accelerator. Um, we were working on, on service contracts for big Fortune 500s, and we were also kind of uh, on the side developing our own projects. Now, um, and quick so, question. Oh, when sure. you said that um, they, they had their own accelerator, what do you mean by that? Um, so, so just like any kind of like Techstars accelerator or, or program incubator where we would have a few startups kind of in residence learning from, from a few mentors that we had uh, specifically in the space to, to run that. Uh, and then also from the different uh, startups and companies that were working inside there. Um, so it was kind of like a work sharing space. It was, it was uh, a different attempt at uh, all the different accelerators, incubators that we see kind of everywhere um, today, it was, it was a little bit philosophically different, uh, workflow different. As I mentioned, those companies would join in other companies who were already working there, get mentorship from them, get mentorship from specific people who were there running the program, uh, and then also the company employees that, that, that were there also working. So it was kind of uh, this pretty cool, innovative hub, um, and we targeted specifically e-commerce companies, helping them grow 14% kind of week over week, which was kind of our, our niche area was, was really e-commerce companies. That's inter- that, So you basically, you worked with like Fortune 500 companies, you had an accelerator, so you had like startups that actually like working there, working with them, having mentorship program, and you had your own projects that you guys were working on. This sounds really busy. Yeah, absolutely. It was. There was a, a lot of chaos, a lot of people running around, um, and, it, and it was cool. But after, after a while and some successes, uh, we decided to focus on, on just doing our own thing because it had been a while since uh, we had been really involved in, in our own product. Um, and so that's where uh, Guides was originally born as, uh, as Startup Plays. Interesting. Now, what, what was Startup Plays? What was the original vision for that? How did it start? Uh, so it was it was essentially a market test for what would become guides.co. Um, we weren't sure uh, how to or how to get there. I mean, philosophically, as a founding team, we kind of had uh, visions and ideas for uh, on how to change a few different industries, specifically the self-publishing industry. How do we, you know, how would you help? 
content producers, whether that's you know blogging, writing, video, um, publishing books. How do you help those guys build an audience and get their message out to the audience and have them so that um, you know leveraging the internet, the audience is actually their their own customers. Um, because up until uh, and still today, you know, depending on the industry and, and where you look, um, there's a lot of platforms out there where, you know, if, if just picking on Amazon, for, for example, if you put up a book on Amazon, the customers aren't directly yours. Amazon just passes on money from the consumer to you, but you don't have any direct access to who those people are. Um, and so we kind of want to change that model. And secondly, uh, there was another model with kind of uh, the way that people produce content, the way that we consume content. Um, we, we noticed that um, as a society, you know, people are a little bit more, um, th- their attention is scattered a little bit more. People like to get to the meat uh, of things a lot quicker. Um, they like to be able to consume things on the go. And you're looking for uh, oftentimes uh, kind of something that's been validated by the market that has worked before that an expert has kind of come up with and refined over time. And so we also wanted to incorporate that vision uh, into a product. Um, and so Startup Plays was essentially, we were trying to figure out what that format looks like. What were the minimum features required that somebody would love the tool, be able to extract value? And how could we kind of merge those two worlds where the content producer or author has direct access to the audience and where the audience is able to consume you know, actionable information on the go, uh, golden nuggets, and just something that they can apply right away. So what does that look like? Um, like paint me a picture of what guides.co is. Uh, if say I was listening to a podcast while in a car commuting. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's tricky to do. But, uh, but basically uh, the, the format that we ended up creating is what we call a smart guide. Um, and so essentially uh, it is mixed media, interactive content kind of broken up into um, a structural format that you can follow item by item. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be chronological, but um, that's where we've seen kind of the, the, the best ways of presenting uh, a repeatable formula or strategy that, where you can start at point A and move all the way you know, through the different points to point C. Um, and in there... One of our other gripes was that you know spending lots of time on Google isn't isn't an effective way um, to piece something that you've never done together because you'll get all kinds of different advice. Things are scattered all over the place. So we wanted guides to be written by you know topic experts um, and also include everything all in one kind of place where it would just keep getting better over time as people used it, as they tested it, as new ideas and technologies came came up. Um, but that everything would be in one central kind of place or, or repository, if you will. Mm-hmm. So kind of stepping back, you kind of described Mercury Grove and Startup Plays and then got into Guides.co. What was kind of your role throughout this time? What were you doing? Yeah, so I mean, I've always been responsible for trying to figure out how do we, how do we, how do we build the MVP? How do we grow a community around that? Uh, how do we gain traction? Um, and so at Startup Plays, that was really spending a lot of time with some of the early adopters and early users trying to figure out, you know, what is, what, what is attracting you to this product? What do you like the most? What would you miss the most about it? How can we change it to make it, you know, better fit their use cases? Um, and, and really just come up with a general MVP that, that we could kind of run with and, and, and build over time. Um, and, and so it's just growing, you know, a really 
close-knit community of users and understanding, you know, on both sides, because it is a multi-sided marketplace. Uh, we have content producers and then we have content consumers. And so it's just understanding the dynamics of both sides and what are these individuals looking for and, and how do we help uh, nurture them on the platform so that they invite more people and tell more people about it. Interesting. So you were like reaching out to these people that were using the website and like asking them questions, hopping on the phone. What did your, what did that look like? Yeah, there's, there's a bunch of tactics. I mean, one thing that, that I think most uh, startups or entrepreneurs don't spend enough time on is really having face to face meetings, especially in the early days. There's, there's something um, about that human interaction that can do a whole lot more if you have the right intuition and, and the patience to kind of go through it um, that, digital or or over the internet or through ads or through phone that you just can't capture. Um, and so I spent a lot of time just speaking with different entrepreneurs, whether they were content producers or users, trying to understand how do they learn, how do they like to learn, how do they apply things, how do they work, what do the workflows look like, how should content be presented so that someone who really doesn't have that much time because they're, you know, so many things are blowing up in, in the business that need their attention, how do you give them the right kind of information fast enough that they can actually digest it, uh, apply it, and, and start to see results. And so that's a lot of the early testing and feedback um, that, that I did with them. But it also gives you insight into how to build uh, community and, and, and kind of achieve critical user mass. Because if you can really understand the motivations of, of you know, your target audience and, and those type of people, once you have that understanding, then you can kind of roll that out to a wider user base. Um, and so a lot of startups... Uh, tend to try and skip that stage, in my opinion. They try to go, you know, digital right away with ads um, or or things like uh, like video user tests or or things like that. But you end up missing a lot of the the core kind of human understanding that comes from actually using something. Um, if if you if you skip that that kind of early stage, really social interaction. Yeah, and it's the best way to build a connection between your product and its audience because if you're using some new product and they specifically like reach out to you and talk to you and get your input you're going to feel much more of a connection to that product and become one of those like hardcore true fans of the actual product absolutely there's uh, there's an article out there um I'll, I'll have to share the link with you afterwards it's something like the first 100 or the the, the first 100 likes um, and it's an older article that's kind of uh, popular among um, small tech circles um, that essentially your first hundred users, you know, you should manually meet with all of them and, and, and just manage those relationships because they will be the foundation for the next thousand, for the next hundred thousand, for the next million users. Those, those, that first hundred, they will be your passionate, you know, core audience. Yeah, and that's so true. And uh, along those lines too, there's the the famous uh, one thousand true fans, where you'll be successful yeah. if you have one thousand true fans. Um, yeah, exactly. So interesting. Now, so this started off as startup plays, and you were kind of testing the waters, getting a feel for what would later become Guides.co. What is the difference? Like, at what point did it intrinsically change to become? guides.co rather than where you were at before with startup plays yeah um, that's a great question um so so basically startup plays was our our testing ground it's where we got to play around with a lot of of different product uh features product models but also business models um understanding you know how how we could monetize the site how people wanted to use the site uh what features were needed or not needed 
Um, and, and I would say we started off with that niche because of our background in startups. It was an area we knew really well. We had connections uh, to some early adopters. And so that facilitated a lot, a lot of that testing and feedback. Um, we really had to jump the, the kind of chasm into guides.co um, from Startup Plays at the point where uh, people started asking for more than just business and startup uh, information. They started asking us, um, you know, do you have stuff in, in other categories? And so that's when we realized that, you know, Startup Plays as a brand was starting to, um, uh, uh, the, the audience was starting to outgrow the brand. And so we needed to expand into something bigger, but that was, but that was also the ultimate goal was to kind of go into something a little bit more um, a little bit more widespread with different verticals where people could find all kinds of different high quality content um, that, you know, that they needed for their life. So startup plays was specifically guides for entrepreneurs wanting to launch startups or build businesses, that kind of thing. Exactly. And then you got the feedback from people asking for wanting guides for other areas. And that's kind of where it grew into guides.co. Yeah, Absolutely. And is all the content that was originally on Startup Plays carried over to Guides.co? Some of it. Uh, some of it has kind of kind of faded off or, or outgrown uh, the audience. It, it really depends on, on the author. Um, and so in the early days, you know, it was a closed community. We would directly approach the, the, the authors that we wanted to see on Startup Plays because it was more of a curated kind of community thing. But as we started getting demands for more content, it, be, it began harder, you know, branching out to verticals where we were no longer topic experts um, and where we needed content for users to kind of keep them engaged, um, you know, to demonstrate that the site continues to grow and stuff like that. And so we ended up opening uh, guides.co up to, up to a larger audience. Um, and so anyone today can come to guides.co and create a smart guide, whether that uh, will end up being just for you know, their private use among friends. Um, if it's someone who says, you know, here's a framework we need to follow, you can kind of create that and then share it with different people. Uh, or you can directly publish it to our site, um, you know, generate, uh, share it with our audience. Uh, you can embed it on your site. You can end up charging for the content and, and almost kind of building, um, you know, like a consulting practice or, or, um, a readership around it. Um, but, but anyone can come to the site now, um, and, and create that, create the, that content. We will still, um, work with those authors to ensure that, you know, they understand what we're trying to create, that they're following certain guidelines, um, and then we do have kind of an editorial review to make sure that the, the, the quality is still um, uh, high, um, it's, it's still high quality content. But we've gone from more of a curation model where we decide, you know, what should be featured to more of, a, of an open source kind of community driven algorithm where, you know, if something's new and all of a sudden you get a whole bunch of reviews, very positive reviews, then you'll shoot to the front of the, the, you know, the front homepage. And so it's no longer curated by us, but rather the community of users who will, you know, uh, proactively as a group decide what's good content, um, but also provide feedback to the author and their experiences and their ideas on, on how to make it better. Um, if, if the author is open to that and, and that will benefit them and their content in the long run. And I have to say that the guides.co is absolutely beautiful. Like when you're describing it and we're talking about it here on the podcast, it really doesn't do it justice because basically people are creating like these how-to guides that are step-by-step and it's a beautiful combination of like text and pictures and being able to easily browse through each of the individual steps. It's really like if you go onto Google and you search for like how to do X, you'll find so many like random spammy websites. It's like the slideshow you have to click through. It's just clunky. It's terrible. And 
Guides.co is like a breath of fresh air in terms of like how to guide. It's really great. Yeah, exactly. And that was one of the objectives from kind of day one is that, you know, you can find short snippets, you know, less than two minute videos on Google that, that are really great, like, you know, how to cook a turkey or how to tie a tie. And those will solve your problem because they're short, you know, quick answers. But if it's, if it's a longer kind of multi-step process or something that, that you know, generally fits in a kind of a best case practice framework, then you need something that's a little bit more tailored to presenting it. Um, and traditionally, um, you know, people are, are, are trying to kind of jam pack that content into either really long videos or into blog posts. But the interface and the experience isn't really on par with what we wanted to create. You know, there's no easy way to monitor your progress. There's no easy way to have a contextual conversation with the author on a specific step. There's no way to say, hey, you know, right there, here's a worksheet or an embedded, you know, widget or, or video that you can consume as you're as you're working through the progress and as you're working through the flow. So yeah, there's, uh, I would say that there's, there's nothing um, quite like it out there um, that, that kind of packs everything into one place uh, and provides the same kind of experience that, that we're looking to create. Yeah. And I, one of the things I really like about it too, is I'm on Udemy, which is um, the, the website where people can launch or buy video courses. And it's a beautiful platform for video courses, but I have so many different courses that I've bought that I just haven't completed yet because actually sitting down and consuming a video takes a lot of work. Whereas with guides, you just sit down, you got the answers, you can walk through it at your own pace, you can uh, keep track of your progress like you were saying. And and I really, it's a fantastic platform. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think there's, you know, you use different tools for different objectives. And when you're looking at uh, really taking somebody's distilled process for achieving certain results, it's better to have it in in the format that we've kind of created because you can kind of go along um, and work through that. It's also meant to, you know, philosophically, what I was talking about at the beginning um, is is some of our values are also less, you know, from a from a um, an expert looking down to everyone who wants to learn or, or you know, everyone who's on the same level. It's rather peer-to-peer. And so we're looking at creating more of a lean-in and participate experience rather than a passive sit-back and just consume because I'm the expert and I'm going to tell you how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you'll find that in a lot of guides, there's actually a pretty rich discussion going on where people are trading ideas, um, applying you know some of the tips and tactics to different use cases, different industries, um, and, and kind of sharing their perspective. And what we were looking to really create, um, based on some of those values I spoke about earlier, um, was was kind of a lean-in approach where you actually had interaction with the person who had created the content and a community of other people who were also looking to apply the content uh, or, or process directly uh, to to the to the problem in order to achieve a specific result, and actually sharing insight um, and 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 your experience with them. And so one of the major things that, that, that we see as, as kind of pivotal is the ability to actually uh, reach out to the, to the creator of a guide um, and have that interaction with them in a way that kind of spawns, I mean, it, it, it's still like a common area, but it kind of goes well beyond that in, in the sense that, um, you know, when you're sitting back kind of consuming a video course, uh, it, it's a lot of, of kind of top-down teacher-student kind of mentality where you're just meant to really absorb the content. We want to really spark more of a discussion, more of a, a lean-in-participate kind of mentality where you're not just learning the content, but you're applying it, thinking about it, and, and kind of tweaking it and making it your own um, and hopefully helping the, the author of the content eventually make theirs even better through you know, a new tool that you might have discovered or a new way that you, you know, thought to apply their formula. 
Mm-hmm. Now, you've got this great product that you've built slowly based on feedback. It, it started with Startup Plays, and then it kind of grew to where it is. And you were one of the people that was working on growth and getting those initial users, building the website, because you can have an amazing product, but if nobody's using it, then it, it doesn't really it doesn't really exist, so to speak. So what were things that you did to uh, grow? And what did you do as like the, the director of growth? Uh, yeah, so I mean, we, st- we started off with, with a really basic landing page that uh, was pretty ambiguous with the value proposition uh, looking back. Um, but, but the idea was just to see if there was something that struck a chord that somebody would be interested enough to put their email address in. And then from there, it's, it's just a lot of, you know, uh, emailing, speaking to people, jumping on Skype calls, uh, trying to figure out, you know, what it is that they're specifically looking for and how you can kind of deliver on that promise um, or, or what they had perceived the promise to be. Um, so that's really early stage kind of, I, I don't think growth hacking is, is the right word at, at that point because you're not even ready for the growth. Like it, it's really just trying to really nail down that product market fit and build something that people are willing to use. Um, and then, you know, kind of moving forward from there, it was just, inviting pockets of people in, relying on uh, new authors who are producing content to, to, to kind of share with their networks, to pull their networks in for personal feedback for themselves, but also feedback for us uh, to understand, you know, what did they like, what did they not like, how can we do things better. Um, and because we, we are, uh, you know, we were and we still are a multi-sided marketplace where we're dealing with both users of the content and creators of the content, it's really important to spend time with both of those demographics and really understand, you know, what are they looking for? How can you make life easier? Any friction point that exists has to be removed if you want, you know, uh, major adoption and to kind of go mainstream. You need to remove anything that, that would slow somebody down, make it more complicated, make it that they don't understand, um, and just provide them tools that kind of fit into their workflow as much as possible without necessarily trying to change their behavior um, to adapt them to to a completely new workflow that they're that they're not even kind of exposed to or, or ready to see yet, um, you know that's a major point. Uh, but there's all kinds of platforms out there that can help you kind of also understand what are people trying to do. There's like you know Peak.com user testing. Um, there's that one by by Amazon there, Mechanical Turk, where you can request simple tasks. There's always Odesk or, or Elance where you can ask somebody to kind of go through and evaluate. Um, but, but I mean, in the early stages, I don't think you need to pay for any of that. There's, you, you know, there should be more than enough people around you that you can just ask for feedback. Um, and, and those first key users, like, uh, or, sorry, those first early stage users, like I spoke about earlier are, are really critical. They're, they're key to your growth because if you can understand, you know, what they like about the service, what they don't like about your service, um, how you can improve it to fit their lifestyle, then, you know, you've got a winning kind of combination. Yeah, you said two things during that that really, really caught my attention because this is really good. And I really want to kind of delve more into the specifics of what you said. Um, the first sure. one was you had mentioned inviting pockets of people in like slowly once, once you're doing this. And what does that look like? How do you find the people that you want to invite in? Do you cold email them? Like what is this process like for uh, inviting the pockets of people in? Mm-hmm. I think it really varies depending on, on who you are and what you're building and, and you know, what, what stage you're at. But uh, it can be cold emailing. It can be as simple as, uh, as targeting a specific uh, kind of social media site where potential users might hang out. 
Um, you know, one of the most common examples that's given is is just just search Twitter with the hashtag for whatever problem you know that that you're either looking to solve or or a solution that you provide to a problem, and just see who's who's talking about it and reach out to them. Be like, hey, you know, would you like to try something? Um, uh, if it, if you're already at a later stage and you're looking for more pockets of growth, there's sites like uh, Beta List, Startup List, Product Hunt is super popular now, um, and and so those will all kind of drive their community of users onto onto your platform and you can kind of treat them like a cohort where you dissect you know what are they doing how are they using the product um and and the cool thing with those forums is that in especially product hunt i think is is one of the the key ones um now is is they actually uh encourage the founders um or or employees of of the startup to, to join in on the conversation and talk to people right there uh and those people are willing to give you feedback they are willing to take the time uh, out of their day to tell you what they think, what's not working, how the experience went, um, and and again they're you know they're free. It doesn't cost that much money to to kind of just spend the time. Um, and, and so one of the other things that that we had done was because we were a multi-sided marketplace, we had those users and the creators. Um, it's important to to figure out how can you best leverage those users to to do other things. Like it's you know kind of that old adage: uh, working working smart, not hard. Um, how do you leverage the resources and, and, and um, you know, the, the things you already have to, to kind of do most of the, the heavy lifting for you? Um, and so, you know, those people, if you can ask them, hey, can you invite three friends, you know, and what would, you, what would stop you? You know, if you, if you don't want to invite those three friends, what's stopping you from inviting three friends? What, what was wrong or that you didn't see that would entice you to invite more people? And just really work on kind of that viral loop. Uh, in a more kind of organic, uh, manual way, just trying to understand, you know, you know, why aren't you inviting more people? What's not working? Um, what in the behavior uh, hasn't kind of enticed you enough to share something that you've seen? So, is that what you did with Guides.co? Like, get in part of, get a part of one of these communities that drives early adopters, and then, like, email them or talk specifically to them, or was that your process? Did you use Twitter and the hashtags to grow Absolutely. guides? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're still using that to, to kind of grow guides, but it was it was more so for startup plays um, and and really understanding kind of what is going to help us drive that that early growth and and what are people willing to do or willing to see in order in order to help invite other people. So it was a lot of manual emails. Um, like I said, we we were always you know it was more curated back then, and so we were always very. Um, very interested in specific individuals that we would reach out to, kind of invite them to to work with us, port their content onto the site, uh, and then again, it was a lot of a lot of just trying to understand the mechanics of okay, now how do we kind of grow this thing together? They've invested the time, we've invested the time. How do we figure out you know what exactly works in terms of promotion? How do we have them promoted to their network? How do we promote it to different networks? Um, and again, yeah, just just testing different things with different community sites. If there was a specific, you know, guide subject, where can we go find pockets of people who are interested in solving that problem? Is it LinkedIn? Is it a subreddit? Is it Twitter? Is it some other thing that we've never heard of? Is it a random forum somewhere on the internet? Um, it, or, and sometimes it's an ad. Sometimes, you, you know, you need to buy a, an ad or kind of create a blog post or, or something like that just to kind of find out where these people are. Um, but, the, but the cool thing is, is that there are tons of communities out there. You know, if you're creating something design, you go to Dribble or Behance. If it's if it's more general, there's there's Reddit, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, if it's a professional kind of B two B product, you go to LinkedIn um, or some you know some actual uh, news sites like Forbes or Wired, depending on on what it is, and just see who's commenting, see who's engaged, um, and and kind of work your way in that way. 
um, one of the things for for those kind of products is it's 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 a lot easier to not go through traditional you know procurement routes and, and try to do a direct sell, uh, but but rather just try to touch base with with influencers and people who are you know kind of have the same behaviors that you do uh, on the internet. Just figure out you know where where do they go? Just get into their minds, think about what where do they like to visit and where do they, where do they where do they like to look for solutions to their problems. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And the second thing, because I had said that there was two things that really got my attention. The second thing is you had mentioned once you're a little bit larger, using certain tools like Amazon Mechanical Turk, Elance, Mm -hmm. and Odesk, which are all sites where you can hire freelancers or individuals like for, for small manual tasks. How exactly do you best utilize that for growing your site? Um, writing something, just just kind of creating a, a job posting for a very specific task um, because it, it can be overwhelming. Usually, you know, you want to spend the time trying to figure out a very particular hypothesis and ask um, the right person to kind of go in and and test that that one thing that you're looking to test or get feedback on. Um, and and so from from a growth perspective, it's not you know about paying them to drive traffic. Um, unless you're doing kind of the Fiverr route, I want a bunch of fake fans kind of thing. Um, it, it's more about just understanding what would my target audience, who's best represented by this particular person that I've managed to locate, um, you know, what can I learn from him or, or her that I can then kind of extrapolate or, or generalize for the for these other people. Um, and so, you know, for us, um, it, it was figuring out how do we get people who have content, whether those are bloggers, writers, uh, traditional kind of book book published authors. Um, how do we get these people interested in the platform, and how do we remove the the points of friction to a point that it's almost a no brainer to put your content onto the site? And I mean, there's still there's still things that we're doing to make it even better because you can always improve a product. I don't think a product is ever done, um, but but you you will learn things from these people that you can then take. Okay, now that I kind of understand that. You know, I haven't wasted an opportunity in front of Seth Godin saying, hey, can you please check out my thing? Uh, it doesn't work because you've already tested it with somebody else. So it's, it's kind of like picking the, the smaller fish before you get to the bigger fish to understand, you know, okay, I've, I've actually got everything that I need, you know, done right. And now this person will be interested. So in terms of these tests, I'm trying to just get a little bit more sure. specific. It would be like you're QAing your website, Quality Assurance, and you're like, you, you would write a test, be like, okay, well, you want to go on here and you're interested in learning how to do this. There is a guide for it. Find it. Or what kind of detailed instructions would you give? Would you test certain features to see if the website breaks and have them report it? Like what sort of tests and things are you assigning to these, these people? Um, so ours in the, in the early day, we're just about creating content and publishing it. Just, just how like, you know, do you understand what the ed- how the editor works? Do you understand the type of content that we're trying to kind of uh, have come out at the other end? Um, and even before kind of getting into the mechanics of the actual uh, guide builder, do you understand the value proposition that's on the site? Because you can actually clearly see someone who's 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 understood what we were trying to communicate uh, compared to somebody who might have just skimmed through it and, and just kind of used it to do their own thing, um, which which just really didn't come across properly. Um, you know, when you're creating a tool for a very specific purpose, you'll you'll kind of see that in your users based on on uh, whatever whatever output there is. Um, and so ours was was really there were a lot of tests around. Can you go to this site and and you know create a guide that that without giving them too much information uh, that that kind of meets our criteria and and if if 
so, that's great. But if not, where did you get hung up on? Uh, explain us, you know, explain to us your thought process. Explain to us what you were expecting. Um, and, and always ask, you know, what other tools, you know, are you currently using to solve this kind of problem? Um, because that, that's a great insight into how people are sometimes are piecing a solution that doesn't yet exist into, into a problem that they do have that maybe you're not correctly addressing. It takes some of that product market fit guesswork out of the equation by understanding, you know, how are you currently addressing this problem? Then how do you, how do you think we address the problem? Um, and then just figuring out what the gap between those two scenarios are. Mm-hmm. Now, you also manage the community at guides.co. Um, what is the community like there and what do you do to help it flourish? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think our community is awesome. It's kind of evolved at different at different points in time, um, and and it's it's everything from just managing you know people who who get to check check out and interact with us on social media channels to our community of authors um, and producers um, and and writers now that we have. Um, so I mean, we've we've had different ways, uh, different tools of interacting with them. Sometimes it was through through you know one on one calls or group calls or forums um, through email. Um, now we use primarily Twitter and, and, and kind of LinkedIn as a, as a professional thing, um, just, just to kind of, you know, keep everyone on the, on the same page, share best practices, um, figure out what we can do to really help them. And I think when you're, when you're building a community, both externally facing or internally facing in, in this case, it's really important to understand who these people are and, and what their needs are and how can you best deliver um, value to them. If you're always exchanging value, you know, with each touch point, whether you're sending an email or you're having a call, if you're giving that person something that will actually help them, which results in helping you, then, then you know, they are more inclined to then the next time kind of come back and, and re-engage with you. So, uh, I mean, on, on the exterior-facing side, when we're promoting guides to users um, it, or, or interacting with them or, or trying to help them, you know, get set up on the site, it's all about helping them discover that, hey, we've actually got a huge database of some amazing content uh, on the site and, and, you know, it's worth your time to check it out. So we're going to work through that, you know, whatever problem it is with you. Um, for authors, we want to make sure that, you know, they have an amazing experience uh, creating their first guide that, you know, kind of spurs them to want to create at least three or four more. Yeah, this is so great in terms of like helping people want to stay involved with the community. Now, what does your average day look like? Because it sounds like you've got a lot on your plate and a lot of things to focus. Like what are, what are your tangible tasks? Like what, what does your average day look like? Um, yeah. So the average day is, is it, it does kind of fluctuate all over the, all over the place. Um, but, but I, I generally just try to dedicate enough time to, uh, onboarding new people. Um, so making sure that if I'm doing uh, cold outreach to new authors about the platform saying, Hey, you know, you guys should be on this, um, that, that, you know, these people, uh, felt, feel like they're taken care of that, that they love the, the kind of the, the, the setup that it's clear and concise, that they know what they're doing, that they know that they can reach out to me. Um, if they have any questions, uh, just customer support. If there's any questions, sometimes that's, you know, as simple as, um, you know, password reset, um, or, or a question about the site. Um, just, just making sure that you're kind of available. Um, and then there's also just our, our, our kind of business component. We, you know, we work with a lot of businesses to make sure that we're producing content with them, um, and so there's, there's some other kind of growth components in there in terms of just making sure that the projects are aligned, that we're looking up new strategies, um, try to save about one day a week or, or a, a day and a half every two weeks to brainstorm some new ideas, new tactics, um, and flush out maybe some, some, something crazy to try and just see what I can learn from it, uh, with the rest of the team or, or in small pockets, um, 
think that, that, that that's pretty much it. It's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty crazy day. I spend a lot of time on Skype and a lot of time in my inbox. <laughs> when you say something that's crazy to try, what, what would be an example of that? Is that like when you have, what is it? The 80, 20 time that Google does or the 10% of your time you can dedicate to your own projects and you get to do crazy stuff or what does that look like at guides? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's not kind of carved in stone like, like that. I think we, what we generally try to do as, as a team is just every once in a while, just brainstorm, you know, how can we make a, a specific process or problem that we've been having lately? How can we make it better or go away? Um, or are we looking at something the wrong way? You know, what would happen if we threw out the current, you know, model of thinking and kind of came at it fresh? Would, would that change anything? Would, would we try something new? Would we do it a different way? Um, and so that, you know, uh, gets applied to, to growth as, as much as it does to any other kind of process, whether it's, or, or area, whether it's design or, um, or, or just the way that we deal with customers or, or anything like that. Um, it, it's just a kind of about brainstorming and, and seeing if there's anything new that we can come up with that's, um, fairly easy and, and, but, you know, not, not like requiring a ton of, of development hours or, or, or business hours, but just something that maybe we hadn't been looking at in, in the right way. Or, um, is there anything new that we could, uh, use to approach the, the same problem that we've been having for a while in a, in a, in a different, in a different way? Um, and again, just try to kind of turn it into a little bit of a hack day where you kind of come up with something and, and it doesn't again need to need to require a bunch of dev hours. It could be something like, like a new email drip, you know, can you, can you do something different by changing uh, an email outreach template uh, or, or a regular support template uh, or message? Can you, can you help encourage people uh, to share their guide or access a new guide by, I don't know, maybe writing them an email and saying, Hey, you know, I noticed you checked this out. Would you like to check this out? Um, just talking them through chat. If, if that arises, just, just trying different things. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I have a separate to-do list in clear, which I use as my to-do list. It's just kind of like tasks that if I have some time, I want to go back and like reevaluate and kind of work on yep. these areas and things to do. And that's exactly what it seems where it's kind of like outside the scope of my day-to-day life, but they're, they're products that I want to get into when I have time. Yeah, it's not necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah we we don't necessarily do pro- do do a bunch of like personal projects that aren't directly related to guides. Everything tries to come back into how do we make the product better, mm-hmm. and that's why I was saying that I don't I don't ever think a product is done. I think there's always you know new technologies, new approaches, new ideas, um, that new perspectives that you can kind of incorporate into an existing product that just kind of tweak tweak it and make it a little bit better. But that's once you really have, you know, to, to use the, 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 the analogy of a car, once you have the main machine, then you can figure out how to tweak it. Uh, and so, you know, that's something that, that probably should happen at a very later stage. Once you have the main kind of engine running, how can you tweak it with, with minor modifications or minor adjustments that will make it, you know, run even smoother? Um, and, and I think it's important to not get caught up in your own, you know, process, you know, your own, your own thinking. Nothing should be set in stone. I think one of the biggest, you know, fears that, that I personally have is that, uh, you know, the, the, kind of that conversation saying, well, we've never done it that way because that's not how we do things, you know? I, I think that's, as soon as you fall into that trap, uh, I don't know. That worries me. <laughs> yeah, that's where you start getting stuck. So, yeah, what is the hardest part about your job? Would you say uh, keeping focus with with all that stuff that kind of moves around, shifting priorities, um, and having to be responsible for for kind of figuring out and, and implementing uh, programs and projects in in so many varied areas. It's 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 hard to kind of maintain focus, but also make sure that I really understand you know, the purpose. You know, am I am I doing this 
you know, specifically for the user uh, or am I doing this specifically for the content producer? And how do those two uh, target audiences differ? What do they expect? Um, and how can and how can I make sure that you know I'm not blurring the lines or or making uh, making something that won't uh, in, uh, you know instinctively appeal to them? So, is there anything you do to any tricks or tips that you have for maintaining the focus? A uh, lot, lot of lot of notes. <laughs> I write down. You know, I have I have I have a huge kind of uh, kind of uh, notebook with with just different notes and different things. Uh, I tried experimenting with the bullet journal a little while ago. I thought that was pretty cool for. Uh, keeping notes down and, and kind of to do's. Um, it's also good to kind of segment your, your day or your week. Um, sometimes I'll split my day in half where I'm doing user stuff in the morning and kind of uh, content producer slash author stuff in the afternoon. Um, that really helps uh, keep focus. Um, I also like to work in kind of sprints where I'm like, okay, for the next hour and a half, this is all I'm going to think about, ignore the rest, um, and, and just take like 10-minute breaks in between kind of these different sprints where, where you're working. Mm-hmm. All right, so one of the last things I wanted to touch upon is digital marketing. Because in the pre-interview for this show, you mentioned the possibility of talking about uh, digital marketing. marketing. And mm-hmm. I feel like it's such a broad term. So I want to kind of define terms before we get into it. So what do you consider to be uh, digital marketing? Yeah, so it, it is it is a, a huge kind of spectrum um, at- what I consider to be digital marketing is, is anything that you're doing to build your brand online, which again is, is still pretty big. Um, but in, in the, in the kind of scope that we like to look at it for authors, it's, um, it's how do you create amazing content that, that actually solves a problem and, and helps somebody and how do you get it into their hands? Anything that kind of goes from, from creating to getting it into someone's hands is, is digital marketing. Um, and, and the way that we like to approach it or the way that I, that I try to approach it is really through just being genuinely helpful. Um, you know, there's, there's a bunch of, of, of blogs and people like 37 signals, um, or, or Jay bear who will talk really about trying to solve someone's specific problem and being genuine with them. Um, and, and that's what, you know, at a, at a ground level, um, our, our platform really tries to embody is, is creating helpful content for people that actually, that actually solves a problem. And I think that if you're doing that, uh, good things kind of, kind of happen. Um, but, it, but it's just about being kind of open and, and in the right places, you know, through social channels, through emails. Um, I, I answer all the emails I get both inside of guides and, and in other projects that I do just, just genuinely trying to be helpful. If, if anyone has a question or anything like that, you know, it might take me a couple of days to get back to you, but, uh, I'll offer either insight that I that I might have, or introduction to somebody that I know who does something you know way better than I do. Um, and I and I think that 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 again, in my definition, kind of comes back to digital marketing because you're just building your brand uh, and being helpful through all those different activities. So you have a lot of digital marketing to think about just by that definition because you're trying to market guides.co. Um, you're trying to market it to new content creators and consumers. And then you're also thinking about guides.co as a digital marketing tool because each of these authors are using yeah. guides.co as a tool to market themselves. And, and really a bunch of different aspects in terms of digital marketing have to do with guides.co. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's kind of a contained ecosystem, definitely all within itself where you know, just like you said, we're, we're trying to market to people. We're trying to, we're trying to teach in some cases, some content producers, how to do digital marketing or how to market themselves or how to position themselves, uh, or how to share their content, uh, how to build an audience, how to become more of an expert. 
Um, and, and, and so, yeah, it, I mean, it happens for the product, outside of the product, around the product. It's, so it, it is a massive scope. And then there's different channels that you can kind of, you know, pick and choose. And you shouldn't try to do a whole bunch of things because, you, you know, you, there's just not enough time in a day unless you have a big enough team. But, uh, you know, you have to decide what social channels you want to be active on. Are you going to be kind of, uh, kind of leveraging YouTube or Vine? Uh, is it going to be more through your blog or through, you know, email? Um, are you going to do in-person events? Um, and, and how do guides fit into all that, um, you know, for, you, for yourself, for us, and for, for others? Interesting. Now, if there's anybody that is listening to this that is just intrigued by the idea of focusing all their energy on growing a product and being a quote-unquote growth hacker, I guess that's the term people are using these days, um, mm-hmm. what, what would be your advice to someone who isn't really involved in this but is interested and wants to be? Um, there's a whole bunch of resources online that you can check out, uh, growthhackers.com, growthhackertv, um, Medium's got a whole bunch of awesome posts uh, in there on, on the subject, uh, Guides obviously has a few, has a few uh, guides on the subject, um, but what's really important to understand is, is that you can't run before you've learned how to walk, um, and I think it's, kind of, it's, it's definitely very prevalent within startup culture. Um, but I think that people kind of want to just jump on the growth hacking train because, you know, you want a bunch of users, but you need to realize that you might not be ready for that point yet. Um, it's not a good idea or, or in my, it, 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 in my opinion, it's a bit of a waste, um, to be driving tons of traffic to your site if you're not converting any of them. And if they're not going to end up becoming really engaged long-term customers, otherwise, you know, you might as well be doing nothing because the result will be the same. Um, and so, you know, there's once you feel like once you once you understand for sure that you have a product market fit, that you have a product that people like and that, you know, they're willing to share, then growth hacking, quote unquote, is really just about increasing the scale at which all those all those tiny operations actually happen. So, you know, more signups, more referrals, more sales, more uh, sharing. That's what growth hacking does. It just accelerates the scale once there's a proper foundation in place. Um, and so it's important to really spend a lot of time thinking about that foundation rather than trying to run, uh, and just, you know, add by because half of the time, depending on, on who you're targeting and, and what channels you're looking at doing ad buy really isn't effective unless you've got a really big budget that you're going to use for a very continuous period of time. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head right there in terms of there's no point in having a lot of traffic unless you are doing something with that traffic, just having a huge influx, then the next day everybody's gone. Like it does nothing. And I think that's a very, very good point. So Franco, I just wanted to thank you so much for being on the show and recording this. And anybody that's listening right now has no idea how difficult this was. This interview was actually over the course of two days because my internet wasn't working. And thank you so much for being so flexible in terms of, coming back and talking to me and there's all this cutting out and all this drama here. No worries. It was a pleasure. I mean, I hope that there was some, some great value. And, uh, I mean, if anyone wants to connect for, for more specific ideas or, or feedback, you can always reach me on Twitter, uh, or, uh, just Franco at guides.co. And I'm more than happy to help out if I can, or like I said, you know, refer you to someone who's, who's smarter than me. Yeah. And what is your, uh, give a shout out for your Twitter handle. Oh, just uh, Franco Variano, V as in Victor, A-R-R-I-A-N-O, just one word. Awesome, cool. So thank you again so much for being on the show, and uh, yeah, I'll talk to you later. Thanks for having me, Dan. Take care. 
that brings us to the end of another episode. If you want to stay on top of the things that I'm working on, you can go to novicenolonger.com and sign up for my newsletter. If you want to be a freelance writer, I got that in the sidebar. If you want to build apps, I got information there too. Just let me know. I'll do it. And until next week, have a good one. Thank you.